0: Before we start, we just wanted to say upfront, thank you for listening. If this episode, or UX podcast in general, gives you joy, then please visit uxpodcast.com slash support and say thank you by giving us a little or as much as you'd like, from just a few dollars to hundreds of corona.
1: By funding UX podcast together with James and myself, we can hopefully bring you eight more years of an independently curated UX podcast. Thank you for being wonderful.
2: UX podcast episode 211.
1: You're listening to UX Podcast, coming to you from Stockholm, Sweden.
0: Helping the UX community explore ideas and share knowledge since 2011.
1: We are your hosts, Pat Expo.
0: And James Royal Lawson.
1: With listeners in 184 countries.
0: From Quebec in Canada to Jalisco in Mexico. Laura Kalbag, a friendly designer who is one half of Indie, a not-for-profit striving for social justice in the digital age.
1: Laura is from the UK currently lives in Ireland and while she was living in Sweden wrote the book Accessibility for Everyone.
0: And straight off the stage Laura joined us backstage at from Business Abundance for a chat about accessibility and disruptive design and inclusion.
1: Laura, you mentioned on stage that you've been talking about accessibility for seven years. Do you feel hope about the future, is anything changing? Because I see a lot of the same accessibility presentations uh, around the speaker circuit, and it seems that we're giving the same type of advice all the time. But are people taking note?
2: Yeah, or I've even been mm-hmm. talking about it for even longer than yeah. that. I've been talking about it for maybe nine, ten years yeah. now, and. Even talking about it before then to the people I worked with and the people I studied with, and it's frustrating. It feels like an uphill battle, and I think that in that time we've had some progress but really not enough, Mm. and I think part of it is that we're just not incorporating it into how we build things. We're not incorporating it into how Mm. we work. We're considering it an add-on at the end. Exactly. And so we really need to turn it from being that sort of additional line item into part of the practice that mm. with everything that we do so in the same way that you might consider oh well we think about branding mm. you consider that you make sure you mm. get that done and you make sure it gets incorporated into every part of the work mm. that you do and so we have to do the same with things like accessibility and inclusivity and make mm. it part of that process and part of a mindset Exactly. I
0: actually, th- I actually did think that the laws, some of the laws that we've we've had come in to, to play in recent years, would actually make a positive difference. But what I'm, what I'm, my feeling at the moment is, it actually just emphasises that it's a box we need to tick. That oh, we now to, we need to comply with that law. Yeah, it is. Kind yeah. Rather than really properly and that, that was a bit when I kind of realised that's how it felt. I felt mm. a bit disappointed. Yeah,
2: and I think we do need those laws, and we need the potential mm. punishments for sort of not following them as motivation because a lot of people won't care unless there's something like that attached to it but i think collectively as a community especially the kinds of people who are interested in improving their practice we have to be more proactive in doing it and not waiting to be told what not to do i think as um kim said in her talk today that We shouldn't be sitting around waiting for ethical um, guidelines to come in to tell us how to do things. We need to be doing them for ourselves Mm. because these things are never going to move fast enough to meet the pace of technology. Mm
1: -hmm. I think a lot of people are still unaware about accessibility, it seems. Uh, I sometimes joke that uh, I still meet clients who are surprised by the fact that blind people use the Internet. Mm. And that, to me is scary because we 've had the internet for a long time now, and when it came out, a lot of people were talking about the democratization that it was contributing to that actually people were now able to use it and that was what got me into loving and being passionate about accessibility is that so many people can now use the internet on equal terms, and then would just destroy that for some reason uh, i, I don 't <laughs> understand uh, the, the, the full circle of that but how can we make people more aware? Because I'm, I'm seeing it being missing from curriculum at school as well for designers and developers alike.
2: Yeah, that's certainly mm. one way mm. to get started mm. is by putting mm. it into mm. education. Mm. And I think if you think about how we spread mm. our practices today, like mm. how we spread the kind of best practices and new ideas, like things that are hot right mm. now, that you think about things like design systems, very mm. hot thing right yeah. now, all those things are spreading mm. So is there a reason why we can't take things like accessibility and write about them and argue for them with our mm. peers and stuff like that? Like we can we can do that in the same way. I think one of the things that holds people back is if they're not disabled themselves and they don't have experience mm. with anyone who is, they feel frightened to talk about it. They feel ill-equipped. They're worried that they'll say something wrong or yes. do something wrong. Mm. And I think we have to not be scared in that way. Mm. I think we, by all means, we have to defer to people who are disabled Mm. and we have to listen to people's experiences and always not assume that we know better than they do about their own experiences because that would be ridiculous. Mm. Um, But at the same time, we can't be scared to talk about these things because Mm. in doing so, we're doing people a huge disservice. And as you said, a lot of the things around the web are quite accessible by default browser makers and operating system mm. makers actually put a reasonable amount of effort into making these things accessible. And then we build things on top of them and take that accessibility away. Mm. And so we, it's not too difficult to kind of get started. We just have to be more comfortable talking about it.
0: Mm. Uh, yeah, n- n- Normalise the things that we do that support more accessible and inclusive um, designs. I think yeah. like the whole thing with um, colour contrast, I mean, um, I think maybe if we, instead of saying, oh, for, for good accessibility, you have to have this kind of contrast, we we started showing, like, well, um, in all this user testing, or in all these A-B testing, if you want to go down that route, these are the ones that won, and high contrast wins. Yeah. So if if, if you could always prove that for, for everyone, these certain things benefit, give a, mm. a, a noticeable benefit, a measurable mm. benefit, then... Yeah. Perhaps that will be an easier Ooh. sell for us internally.
2: I think one of the greatest things about accessibility is that it is so closely interwoven with usability. And so many of the things like high contrast will not just improve it for people who have low vision or are, uh, like have difficulties, but it's people using a device in a bright room. It's people yeah. using a yeah. low-resolution screen. Like These have really positive impacts. And the majority of things around accessibility will improve usability and in that case it's an easy sell because that equals you make more money. Mm. Like, it's mm. very straightforward and there's statistics out there. you can sort of say these are statistics on how many people are in our locality that are disabled. I mean you've got to be wary that some statistics don't acknowledge like crossover people with multiple disabilities and things mm. like that. but you can find those statistics and use them to advocate for it if you just if you're the kind of organization that needs metrics. Mm to push these things. But just pushing for usability through accessibility can really help. And there's some needs that kind of in accessibility-wise may conflict with each other, but very few. And so we can broadly say accessibility is really good for usability. Mm.
1: I also liked how you defined accessibility in your talk because it's not about uh, people with disabilities specifically. It's about including everyone and that's really important to understand. I think, uh, as someone in charge of a digital solution, a digital service, is that you're trying to include as many people as possible. It's not, and that, that's why it always becomes an add-on because you think it's about a particular group of people. Yeah. At the end, yeah. It's a we mm, need mm, to build mm,
2: things yeah. that are flexible and adaptable mm. and can accommodate people's needs. So give mm. them options for how they prefer to consume things. Mm. Like that's a good way of doing it, and of course it's going to seem intimidating if you're thinking i've got to make it work for blind people i've got to make it work for deaf people i've got to make it work for people with dyslexia and you start sort of running this huge list that's going to of course sound very intimidating Mm. but when you start realizing that these needs often benefit from the same things it's making things easy to see regardless of impairments make things easy to hear make things easy to understand and make things easy to use yeah and Everything falls under those categories.
0: Now, I'm, I'm thinking now about the, the kind of attention society and the, the way that we're using advertising and so on, you know, grabbing um, attention with an advert that was flashing. I think give it was an example today. Um, sometimes how those also conflict. Like you've got business drivers, you've got revenue drivers, maybe mm-hmm. seen by like distracting you, and we're saying, well, accessibility-wise, people we don't want to be doing that, turn it down. Yeah, So well, it becomes the thing, oh, God, it's that accessibility thing again. They're fighting against us. So you've got that dichotomy.
2: Yeah, but then it is part of usability as well. And you want to try to keep the people using your products on side. Mm. And if you're doing something that's annoying, like flashing things, not only is it going to like, potentially cause seizures and things like mm. that, but it's just going to irritate everyone. Yeah. And if you can't focus on what's actually on the rest of the page because this ad is just flashing away, and so it's one of my pet peeves drives me nuts having to see that all the time, like just in my periphery while I'm trying to read something. I mean, I'm lucky. I can go into developer tools and hide that element, but very few people have that ability to do so. And so, yeah, we have. I think the problem lies where our business goals are pitted against what's best for the people using our product. The, that's where we're going to find it very difficult to make progress because mm. if our business goals are to addict people, are to annoy them and grab their attention, then, I mean, we can dress it up as much as we like, but we're not going to make things that are great experiences for people.
0: No. Well, that's
1: what I struggle with so much uh, is that, yes, we can put so much focus on making it more usable and more accessible. But what if, like you said on stage, what, should, what if the business model is broken or is bad? Then you are… in
0: actually working to lead people to harm yeah i, th- I, mean, mm. I think we see this with mm. gdpr and news mm. and, and news websites i mean we 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 have the gdpr law that says mm. you, you are allowed to kind of collect mm. data here and there and whatever so we've had all these um, pop-ups with all the permission things yeah and a lot of newspapers have made them so inaccessible and so complicated Mm. I mean that any yeah. no one can actually go through and say no,
2: and that in itself is against GDPR. Exactly, exactly. they have very strict rules. I think they've mm. actually had um, in France they had a ruling where a particular company had to redesign their consent dialogue mm. so that it was compliant with GDPR, and they did so. I mean, it's not fun experience by any means because to consent to lots and lots of stuff at once is never going to be an enjoyable experience. Mm. Um, but the default is that everything's off. <laughs> That's an important thing. So, actually, it is easy to just hit exit because the default is that everything is off. Mm. And th- there are designs for these things.
0: Mm. Yeah, and then there are the, the problem with that the exit then leads you away from the site in some cases because they're basically using it as a paywall. Yeah, it's a pay In paywall, some cases, yes. Like but that.
1: I'm surprised by how often I, I can actually click on deny. Mm. I can still use the website. Mm. And I don't think. A lot of people are aware of that. You can mm. click deny, an and sometimes the website works. Still. Yeah, well,
0: well. Sometimes I've noticed. Well, the, the way they, they use the language and the way they they, they kind of prime the design with the buttons, and mm. sizes, a link or a button. Mm. It really isn't. It really isn't designed with your best interests mm. in, um, in mind. No,
2: and they will get caught up with eventually. Mm. I think, but of course, there are so many complaints mm. already for GDPR. Mm. So they've got a, the regulators have a lot to handle. Mm. I mean, um, for me, I actually make a tracker blocker that um, blocks tracking in the browser. And I've so used it <laughs> for years. <laughs> That's good, thank you. <laughs> and uh, you can quite safely a lot of the time just close those boxes because they're redundant because we've blocked the underlying trackers because we can't trust no. these mm. companies to do it. And actually, really, I hope that browsers will start enforcing those rules for us and we'll start blocking trackers by default too mm. because mm. we can't trust businesses to do what's it's not in their best interest, so they're unlikely to change it. Mm.
0: Exactly. While the under while the underlying business model is still as it is for for the majority of like mm, news websites, for example, yeah. they aren't going to change their behaviour because it means the end of what they're currently doing, and they yeah. haven't reached a position to transition mm. to something else yet. Yeah. Well,
2: there's a very interesting case. Axel Springer in Germany, they're fighting this big case against ad blocking, and their lawyer actually said that. Um, the tracking is their business the content on the new site is just the means to getting people to click on the ads Mm. Mm. and you think how upside Mm. down is our world when Mm. the sites that we rely on for knowing what's going on um they don't see that as the business model they don't see journalism as Mm. the model it's how do we get people to click on ads Mm.
1: that's crazy
0: and 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 sad. I mean, we've 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 brought up on the podcast a few times the whole thing about the the dreams and ideal, the ideas, the hope we had for the internet mm. um, twenty years ago or so, and it's it's kind of turned into the opposite of some of the things yeah. we're talking about but I mean, it's still not over but it's, it's i got
2: into it for the same reason i mm. love the idea of the democratization mm. of information that you could not only could i learn about whatever i wanted and sort of spread and share knowledge um everything i needed to learn about building for the web i could learn from the web mm-hmm. which is just so cool and i don't think that's gone away and i think that there's still a lot of hopeful projects out there i think we just have to understand how business affects it and we need to just find different business models that where we can make technology like work for social good as well
0: yeah hopefully we'll just see this we'll look back in history at this kind of maybe 10 year period as the dark period and and there'll be a much brighter future (laughs) when we go through it
2: they say that the pendulum swings from sort of dark to light and back again so (laughs) i don't know hopefully but i think that we can't expect it to do it without us doing anything Oh, exactly. we have to intervene yeah. we can't just go oh well we'll ho- it will swing back mm. we've we've got to take our responsibilities mm. for
1: it a- and also i mean being informed as a consumer is crucial because th- the people who are informed can make demands on these companies who are misbehaving but it seems now that the most people are just not aware they're not understanding yeah. what is happening with their data? What they're accept? What types of types of terms they're accepting?
2: Yeah, well, mm. that's because mm. a lot of these mm. businesses are spending huge amounts of mm. money on mm. sort of marketing campaigns and dark patterns and all mm. of the things to cover these things up, mm. so we don't hear about them. And yeah, they provide us with cool free stuff, mm. and so it's hard. It's very hard to fight against convenience. And yes. I think that's why a lot of it starts with the people who are capable of building these products to build alternatives that are more ethical. Mm. and Because we can't tell people to leave unethical technology mm. if there is no alternative.
1: But do you believe in the certification of our industry, of our professional
2: industry? I, I think it could, it can be valuable like to under, understand qualifications mm-hmm. between each other, but I'm... I'm not sure there are many systems that can't be gamed.
1: Fair <laughs> point, <laughs> yes. <laughs>
2: I think that we, we just need to hold each other to account and mm. call each other out. It's not fun being confrontational, and I think s- both Swedish and British cultures are not cultures that enjoy being confrontational, uh, but I think that we do need to do it. We mm. need to bear in mind there are plenty of people in the world who are happy to carry on doing things as they do, and unless we call mm. them out, they'll keep doing it. Mm.
0: So, have you got any more advice? Then, if, you, if we want to make sure that—I mean, not just not just this this side of things, but also the accessibility side specifically—what are the things we need to really be doing, apart from calling people out?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think. Well, I think we need to try to educate ourselves about these issues. Mm. I think a lot of people um, kind of think, "Well, advertising—that's not my responsibility, and um, accessibility oh, well, the developers will deal with that." Mm. And so we need to sort of, it's that idea of being the T-shaped designer, the idea that you have a broad understanding of much of your field and Mm. then you have a deep understanding of, um, because once you have that wide understanding of, oh, maybe this could be an accessibility problem, as long as you're aware of it, you can go and find out how to fix it. Like there's so many resources Mm. out there. There are so many brilliant accessibility Mm. experts who share resources for free. And so it's not expensive. The expense is your time. And, but it's very easy to get educated in it and you don't have to spend any money doing it. So we just need to make sure that you, we have those inputs that mean that we're aware of what the issues are. Because once you're aware, you're much more able to dig into things deeper.
1: Mm. There was one thing that happened on, on stage today that's interesting because and sometimes, I mean, you use it for that effect as well. The smart dildo, mm. uh, which uh, makes people laugh. Mm-hmm. but it's a, an incredible invasion on privacy the example you're yeah. describing and people laugh about it maybe nervously but how do you feel about that because it's it, i mean it's, it should be so much more serious than actually instigating laughter
2: yeah well i mean, part of it is uh-huh. to provides some mm. relief because people are yeah. feeling increasingly tense mm. by all of the things mm. that I'm showing them that are quite terrifying. Yeah. It's like an episode of Black Mirror. Yes. And so, yeah, so you, you kind of, you make them laugh initially mm. because it's ha-ha-ha, oh, it's something, mm. it's a funny sex toy. Mm. And then you actually make mm. people think about, oh, but the data that comes from that mm. is incredibly intimate. Mm. And it's that way of starting to just help people think about things that they use in their everyday life. That could be affected. I didn't even mention smart speakers, and I think that's something that's the most Mm. prevalent right now in people's Mm. homes, Mm. aside from their mobile devices,
0: Mm. which are in effect the same thing when it comes to uh, how much they record, listen, notice even worse because they move around with you, so you've got the GPS. Yeah, I think the the devices,
2: mobile (laughs) devices, provide the GPS, and the smart speakers provide the listening. Mm and yeah between them and of course because they are very easy to connect both of those things to you can build a very broad picture of what you're about and what you do
1: so with your experience of different cultures why do you think it is that uh, smart speakers haven't become as prevalent in in sweden as it has for example in england where it seems that a lot of people have uh, smart speakers but i don't meet a lot of people have them here
2: well, I do wonder whether part of it is that thing about inclusivity and how mm. a lot of it's designed for English-speaking people. Like, the yeah. difficulty in mm. trying to mm. communicate with um, things can be really hard mm. because if they don't necessarily recognize... I'm very lucky, got a very boring standard British accent, <laughs> very easy for voice recognition. Yeah. Mm. But then when I try to say my partner's name and mm. get to call him... Mm. I mean, does it understand what oral is? It's not an English name, mm-hmm. and so I have to give him all of these different kind of different names yeah. in my contact mm. so that I can actually get it to call <laughs> him when I'm driving. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's
0: kind of like the shotgun approach. You yeah, know, and so of them. <laughs>
2: yeah, often it doesn't work for um, uh, for people, but yeah, the mm. I'm sure that the cultural differences um, mm. lead to all different kinds of things. Mm. I mean, I. I'm not very good at speaking to what s- Swedish people do so much because I'm not one. <laughs> no, <laughs> as yeah. much as I lived here, I, I, I can't. A lot of it is um, subconscious. We don't mm. think about mm. why we make the decisions that we make like that.
1: True, no. but I think you're onto something because it's. A, I don't think it's a privacy thing that people are not buying them because of privacy. I think oh, it no. actually is something else. I mean, I'm. Yeah. I'm
2: no, sure it's, so. it's not. Yeah. I found it very difficult mm. arguing um, on those issues Mm. in sweden Mm. um because i think a lot of uh, things like having data about you publicly available Mm. is something that's very common in sweden because a lot of the Mm. government systems are Mm. built around that and yeah it's harder to argue the case for these things when a lot of it's already happened because then you're talking about removing power Mm. and taking it away it's much easier to get there before you give the power to somebody Mm. else but that doesn't mean it's impossible. A GDPR gives you the ability to say, remove my
0: data. Yes. I've been that annoying person a few times, emailing companies.
1: That's oh, have you started it. doing it? I haven't I, done yet. I,
0: well, I, I, I kind of use it as a punishment thing. If someone like, <laughs> keeps on spamming me with SMSs or something, then uh, oh, I get frustrated by some yeah. of these uh, marketing things. They they require you to SMS back to tell them to stop. Yeah. And it's a premium SMS. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And that presses my button. Mm. So yeah. then I end up then contacting them via another means of saying, take me away, and they go, well, you can just SMS. No, <laughs> <laughs> you can take me away. Yeah. <laughs> oh,
2: I had that. I was trying to cancel a subscription, and they were insisting on I had to phone them. Oh. And I said, you don't. I'd sent them an email, and I said, I do not have to phone you for you to cancel this subscription. Mm-hmm. And it's a dark pattern mm-hmm. that you make that a requirement on your site. I mean, mm-hmm. you think about people who can't, don't have access to phones. People who find it difficult to use phones—I mean—that puts even more onus on them. It's just not fair.
0: Again, we're not having the right, we're not having the users' interests or, p- or the human interests mm. in the centre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, someone else's or something, mm. something else's interests yeah. in the centre.
2: I think one of the greatest tricks we've played on ourselves over the last few years is the idea that we're actually human-centred and we actually care about people. They, we yeah. keep saying it. We talk about <laughs> empathy. But yeah. actually, a lot of the time, yeah. we use it as an excuse to do other things.
1: That is so true and so sad. So <laughs>
2: <laughs> Sorry, not the best thing to s- say s- to s- a UX s- podcast. Trying <laughs> not, to,
1: n- try not to end on the dystopian note, then. Yeah. Uh, what are you hopeful about?
2: I'm hopeful mm. about the fact that there are so many people working on alternatives. Mm. I think these are not necessarily groups that are well-funded, but there are a lot of people who really care about these issues mm. and want to be able to particularly protect vulnerable people. And that gives me a lot of hope that there are a lot of people out there who are doing hard work, not making money doing it, and just genuinely care. And I, what's better than that about humans? Yeah.
0: Wow, that's thank a, you. That's a much better note. <laughs> yes. <than I> <laughs> yeah.
2: I feel hopeful now. A bit more cheerful. <laughs> yeah. Thank you
1: for joining us, Laura. Thanks, Laura.
0: Yeah, in that In that little interview, we, we went from accessibility uh, through um, in inclusion all the way over to intrusion and, and the way that, that organizations, due to their business models, are kind of really breaking into our private lives. Mm.
1: Yeah, that's what I really like about Laura's meshe- message and her, and her presentation is that she really is tangible with all the examples from accessibility, but shows us how this actually also, of course, dovetails with how we are being exploited by the bigger companies. It's just very messed up, all of it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, uh, from, her, from her talk, she, she gives the example of um, um, capture. Um Which most of us I think will know is that is that thing where you get presented a, of a task to do to like writing some text mm-hmm. or choosing some traffic lights or cr- crossings um to prove that you 're not a robot and and Laura points mm-hmm. out that this is a terrible thing for accessibility, which is understandable when you think about it I and mean, how do you and if you 've got oh if you 've got need if you 've got accessibility needs which all, almost all of us have then that 's a real challenge. And what what yeah. Laura pointed out was that many of the times in fact, Google's latest version, Cap- Capture 3, you don't even, it decides already because you've included this, this um, script on every single page. It already has decided if you're human before you even answer the questions. So I, I felt a little bit kind of oh, betrayed when she was yeah. r- telling me all this because I realize now those times where I get asked to pick out traffic lights a second time when I'm trying to confirm I'm human, it isn't because they want to know I'm human. It's because I was probably really good the first time and they thought, well, oh, we can get even more data. Yeah. Oh.
1: Yeah, that's a really, really scary thought. I mean, they're we're just being exploited all the way across the board. Mm. Uh and it's just not transparent. It's nobody knows about what's going on. Everybody's subjected to it uh, and just it's lucrative also for, for these companies to maintain prejudices. It's it's just Ah, the, the dystopia we got to in the end just really m- messed with me because I realized that are we screwed? How screwed are we? And it seems like we don't have a marketing problem for ex- accessibility. I mean, we have a listening problem. That it, it's a listening problem where the, these companies just aren't interested in listening to us and our real needs, and it, it's based on entitlement and privilege and prejudice. And they just love exploiting it because it's profitable. Mm. I mean, and how do we ensure that it isn't profitable to exploit us?
0: <laughs> yeah, we, well, we we kind of half joked about the pendulum swimming, and we're we're getting very really dystopian and dark. But um, but yeah, Laura points out in her in her presentation um, that advertising platforms which maximise clicks to maximise pro- uh, maximise clicks to maximise profits mm. are, are are bound to they're they're programmed by default to reinforce prejudices and stereotypes. Yeah. I mean, it, it can't do anything else. Um, mm. it's, it, yeah, <laughs> so the, the the business models are broken.
1: And and those of us of us who have figured it out, at least have partly figured it out. I mean, I guess it's our jobs then to make it apparent and transparent when people are exploited and excluded. And. I loved the point sh- uh, Laura was making at the end, actually, about we need to learn to be more confrontational. We need to be able to speak up more mm. and hold each other to account. And, and she made a good point about actually uh, people in the UK and Sweden maybe not being so good at being confrontational. And this is something we have to work on. Because I, that's I, that makes me think of how many people are complaining about politicians these days, mm. but without wanting themselves to get into politics mm. It's easy to point a finger, but it's, it's harder to actually get in there and do something.
0: Mm. I mean, we, we've, we've had this point before about how, how confrontational can you be if the country you work in um, doesn't protect your rights as an employee as well as maybe other countries. Mm. I mean, this has come up when mm. we've been at international conferences, and especially Americans seem to be a lot more worried about saying the wrong thing for fear of losing their jobs. Um, so yeah, so this th- we can get very political, very quick about the the, the solutions to this. But I think uh, Laura pointing out being t-shaped, which is something we've talked about many many years. That uh, one of the one of the many important skills as a as a UX designer is knowing knowing a little bit about lots of things. Um, yeah. because you know when you're faced with some of these things, like we you know we have to evaluate a f- business models. Um, we have to not only evaluate um, potential solutions or, or scenarios. You know, is this accessible? Is it inclusive? Um, is it for the greater good of mankind? You know, there's a lot of, a lot of skills beyond what you would consider the traditional visual skills, maybe, of, of like interaction design or research that we need to make use of. So T-skilled mm-hmm. is, is essential.
1: And, and as Laura points out, obviously there are a lot of people who care about these issues. So there is at least some light at the end of the tunnel. It seems that we are in a moment in history where we are calling out these behaviors and are becoming aware and learning to actually start fighting them as well. Yeah.
0: I mean, if we, if we go back to the kind of more, so of so the less controversial aspect of, of our conversation when we talk about accessibility um, in, in itself, in its, in its pure essence of implementation. Um, mm. And one of the things that um, Laura talked about was contrast. Um, right. color contrast and um, there I, I reflected over the fact that um, you know, this, is, this is still the case where many organizations don't have um, palettes for their, you know, their branding palettes don't have con- uh, contrast r- ratios that are good enough mm. and that made me think about so how true. that I think that's still because the, the, the style guides they have their roots in printed media or traditional media so, so we often inherit style guides from companies, and when we're doing design work, um, and they haven't considered the web properly and fully. Um,
1: and it and goes back to where we started with the conversation, really, that we've we keep saying and telling and teaching uh, how you do it right, but we keep doing it wrong. Hmm. Uh, and this is a big frustration for me. Hmm. That i I've also been talking about accessibility for many many years, and, and it's just. Why is it not happening? Why is such a simple thing, as you're saying, as such a simple thing as choosing colors, is still not based on accessibility? Yeah,
0: I mean, it's exactly. I mean, it, it, it's so it's so simple to fix, but it needs to be fixed at kind of root. You know, go back to root causes. Root causes that style guides at companies are, are, are built for the wrong purpose. Um, they need mm-hmm. to be web first. Um, but then on top of that, I was thinking. I was thinking actually this morning about how you know we web browsers are becoming more and more strict in the implementation of certain things. You know, we mm-hmm. think about how we've done with, with certificates now, with HTTPS and so on. That, um, yeah. you know, uh, you get, in Chrome, you get a very prominent se- page now, a uh, middle page that says, this is unsafe. Uh, and you have to click kind of like on two links or whatever to kind of go to the website if it doesn't have right. a certificate. Yes. Why don't we start doing this with contrast? Why I like that, why yes. why, c- why can't a, sp- a page fail to load? If um, if there are contrast ratios for any element on the page which don't that aren't um, that aren't compliant, I mean, um, okay, is someone then going to create a web browser which kind of is deliberately non uh, non-compliant just to get around it? Um, but mm. but I think I think for like Chrome and for Opera and for Firefox, this this should be this should be something that you could probably implement without rocking the boat too much, or
1: yeah, or at least I mean. Display a big warning sign at the top of the page. Uh, f- about <laughs> how they're not compliant with yeah, their disability. but I you know think, but isn't
0: that going to suffer from the kind of banner f- effects I mean, people are just going to click it away or whatever, mm-hmm. like that. I mean, if I think to hurt companies, I think to make companies properly understand, I think you'd have mm-hmm. to you'd have to fail their their page. <laughs> c- I mean, because the, p-
1: the problem is <laughs> that 90% of the internet would just not be visible anymore.
0: And what's wrong? <laughs> and what is bad with that?
1: Oh that's a good point as well. Because if,
0: if the if the if the ultimate goal is to get contrast sorted, we'd f- hmm. we'd fix it in one in one release. Hmm. Because everyone then would would be running to fix this color contrast because suddenly their yes. website, their product, their service doesn't work anymore.
1: I love it. I think it's an excellent idea actually.
0: Let's see if we can make that happen.
1: Who do we talk to? We need to talk to someone who develops a web browser. If
0: anyone knows, um, get in touch with us and tell us who we need to talk to. Yes. (laughs) So um, (laughs) thank you very much for spending your time with us today. Um, Links and notes from this podcast, this episode, can be found on uxpodcast.com if you can't find them directly in your podcast-playing software of choice.
1: So if you want something else to listen to, uh, then we recommend episode 196, Accessibility for Designers, and episode 112, which is Inclusive Design with Sora Lerion. Remember to keep
0: moving. See you on the other side. Knock knock. Who's there? Rhoda. Rhoda who? Rhoda, ro, rode above, gently down the street <laughs> <laughs> Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. <laughs> you did Rhoda in a whole accent. I like that. Mm hmm. It's Rhoda, but I said it with a whole accent. Rhoda. Well,
1: uh, I, I was thinking of the microphone brand, which is why I said it like that.
0: <laughs> ah. See? Backstory.
1: Yes.